Today, I want to talk through the Easter weekend with you. I want to look look at Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Because Friday, I think one of the, the best short sentences you can use was the one that Jesus used when he was on the cross, when he said, it is finished. It is finished. There's lots of times where we are in the middle of something and we think that it's finished, but it's not quite finished yet. And prepping for this, I was reminded uh, of, I'm sorry to go to football on Easter Sunday, but we're going to go there and we're going to be right back. Don't worry. But it's, it's a play that's so famous, it's referred to as the play in college football. Like it, when you, if you search online, the play, this is what will come up. It'll be Stanford and California in, in a big game fourth quarter, and Stanford is down by two, 17 to 19. They have this quarterback that if you follow football, you might have heard of him, John Elway. Um, He's a little bit known. Yeah, right? He leads his team from fourth and 19, makes a 26-yard pass from their 13-yard line. Little, Little less than two minutes left. Works all the way downfield, gets into football range, or gets into field goal range. His coach, they could run the clock all the way down to one. His coach says, no, stop it at eight in case we fumble the snap. They kick their field goal, four seconds run off. They take the lead, one minute to go. This is going to get them into a bowl game. They are pumped. In fact, their team comes out and celebrates on the field after the field goal goes in. The game is over. It's four seconds. They get a penalty, so they have to kick from a little further back. They kick it off. Simple play, simple tackle. In fact, they have their hands on the guy with the football. When, once they do that, the band and the cheerleaders and the rest of the team storm the field. This is over, but he's not down yet. He laterals it. They lateral it five times. He makes it through the players, ends up having to run through the band, runs over a guy playing the trombone in the end zone, and scores. They, they thought the game was over. It wasn't over yet. There's this sense of, we think we know when something is finished, but I'm going to tell you, only God will be the one who says it's finished. And when he says it's finished, it means that it's done. And maybe this is a word for you, or maybe this is just a reminder, or maybe this is something that you need to carry to someone else. But far too often in our own life, we've looked at our situation. We've looked at our circumstances of where we've placed ourselves, And we say, it's done for me. It's finished for me. The dream is dead for me. There's no way to go forward for me. And we try to say it's finished, but you don't get to declare that. You don't get to give up on yourself. You don't get to decide when you're too far gone. Because when Jesus was on the cross and he said that it's finished, he wasn't just talking about that day. He saw so much more. I want to read you the passage from Gospel John chapter 19, verse 30. And it's talking about when he was on the cross and he had received the drink. Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When Jesus said it was finished, he was talking about his mission of why he came here in flesh. That the problem that started at the fall, when Eve and Adam took the fruit and chose sin over God, and invited all kinds of pain, sickness, death, and destruction into our world. He saw it all. And what he was finishing was a work that was done for Adam and Eve 
through every generation into your family and into your life. In fact, all of the feelings that have ever welled up of guilt, all the feelings that have ever welled up within you of I've messed up too much. When Jesus said it is finished, he's saying, I've dealt with that now. I've paid for that now. I'll tell you what, when he said it's finished, I'll tell you the Jews and the Pharisees, they probably thought it was finished in their mind as well. This little uprising that he started, these problems that he started, it's finished for us now. We've got him. He's on the cross. He's dead. In fact, they mocked him. They made fun of him while he was on the cross. He said, you talked about saving other people. You can't even save yourself. The Romans and the Jews, they mocked him. The Pharisees, they were probably feeling just fine that Friday, thinking that it's fun that they had put the, the, the son of the father up on the cross, but it was finished in a different way than what they expected. The Romans, they many times had, had put down rebellions and their leadership and their guards probably thought it was finished. The disciples, they had an idea of what it looked like for that to be finished as well, didn't they? I mean, this is one of the incredible evidences of scripture because you know that throughout history, when someone writes a record of their life, they always make themselves look better than they are, right? I mean, I think some of that, like it was true. So it leaked into the gospel of John. When he talks about John and Peter running to the tomb, he has to mention, I beat Peter there, but I waited outside. The only reason that Peter went in first is because he just does crazy things. I don't run into a a tomb by myself. Like I beat him there and I waited and then Peter went in. Like he had to make sure you knew who he was, that he was better. But one of the incredible things about the accuracy of the gospels is that none of them, nobody expected no body in the tomb. And so on Friday, the feeling that they had all of the disciples was that it is finished. I mean, you think back to Peter three times denying that he even knew Jesus. That it said he called down curses and he said, I don't know the man. All of the disciples were in hiding. Nobody was trying to figure out how do we keep this movement going now? They were all going their own directions. On Friday, on Good Friday, I don't know if you can travel into the emotions that would have been felt on that day. Of all of the things that he taught, because it wasn't just that Jesus died. I mean, I, I, that... That was their friend. That was someone they traveled with. They saw him do incredible things. But everything that he taught to them on that day died as well. They felt like, was any of this true now that this would happen? I mean, it's easy for us to look through the lens of history and say, well, of course it's true. And he told you that he had to die. He told you that he had to suffer. Even the Old Testament prophets told you that, that the Messiah's chosen one would have to suffer and die. But in that moment, what they felt was frightening. In that moment, it was just, it's, it's all finished on Friday. So what what is this season of your life feeling like? 
A lot of times people will come to church almost as a last ditch effort of saying, is there any hope? And I wanna tell you that if you came to church needing to know, does God take someone back like me? No matter how finished you've felt like it is, he's he's the God of the underdog. He loves the comeback story. He loves the surprise. In fact, his power is made perfect in our weakness. It removes any confusion of, oh, does that person just have it together? He says, no, I, I will let you drive yourself to your breaking point. And when you choose to let me get back in the equation, I will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I will restore you. And that way everyone will see that this love and this power is available to them as well. But on days like Friday, that can feel far away. Friday, I mean, it, that just led into Saturday, didn't it? Saturday didn't feel much better. I mean, it, John 19, 41 and 42, it, it, it talks about after Jesus died on the cross, it says that the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had, had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And then the very next thing we go to is what started happening on Sunday. We have almost nothing written about Saturday because what happened on Saturday was they hid and they cried and they tried to figure out how do we put our lives back together now that this is over. And I'm I'm not really gonna speak too much about that because we don't have a ton of information of exactly what happened on Saturday, but we do know this, that Saturday was the Sabbath. Like the Sabbath is Saturday, the the last day of the week. That was their day of rest. This was a major holiday weekend there. This was Passover. This was one of those days. It's kind of like Easter, like you gotta be in church. Like even if you don't go to church any other time during the year, you gotta be in church this time. Like this was one of those times you gotta be at the Sabbath on pass, you got to be in the temple on the Sabbath of Passover. So something that they would have grown up with, they're in absolute hiding during this time. They're sitting in absolute fear. That, that gap between Friday and Sunday, I think about the silence that they would have had to sit in for all of those hours. And there's, there's encouragement in this, this message, I promise. And I, I apologize if I'm bringing you through some tough places, but I wanna make sure that people who are in tough places know that God has hope for them. And so I, I want to just press into that That place where you feel like, God, why are you not showing up? God, if you are there, why is this pain still hurt? God, why is this suffering here? In every experience, in every time of life, in every scriptural story and life that we see, there are these times where God allows them to walk through difficulty and things that almost feel like, God, where are you? God, why is it silent? Why does it feel like that Saturday after Jesus died and nothing is happening other than people who should be losing, it looks like they're gonna win. The Jews, they're they're in the temples and they're celebrating. 
They're celebrating the Passover together. They're celebrating the death of Jesus together. Like, where are you in this? And this is the interesting thing because on that Saturday and on that Friday, the disciples would have run through all of the things that Jesus taught. And Jesus was an amazing teacher, but his teachings, they weren't enough to sustain them through what they just saw. Jesus did incredible miracles. I mean, think about it. How persuasive would that be? That, that Jesus would bring someone back out of the grave by the call of his voice. That Jesus would walk on water. That he would provide food for thousands. And you would look at those things and you would say, shouldn't those that his teachings and his miracles have been enough? And I want to tell you, I've seen God do incredible miracles in the lives of people before. And for a moment, it gives them persuasion, but then they get back to doing what they really want to do. Miracles and information and teaching are never enough to replace relationship. And when we look at why the Jews and the Romans wanted to kill Jesus, it wasn't just because of his teachings. In fact, a lot of the teachings they would have agreed with. Some of the teachings were hard to hear, but most of his teachings they'd agree with. They loved the miracles. They, they, it, was, it was engaging. It was entertaining. The problem that they had with Jesus was the relationship that he said he had to people and to God. That he said, before Abraham was, I am. When, when people asked him how old he was, I am like the term that God used for himself with Moses. Jesus said, I and the Father am one. And that was the issue. And in your own life as well, I want to tell you, so many of you have heard so much of the gospel and you've heard so much about how Jesus died and heard about he rose from the grave on Easter and you've heard that, but you've never felt it in a way that you've entered into a relationship with God. And this Easter, the power of the resurrection wasn't just that Jesus came out of the grave, but that he will bring us out of that grave as well. And the resurrection, the existence, the, the fact that it didn't just end on silence, it didn't just end on Saturday, that as we move into Sunday, this is where God showed the proof. This, the resurrection is the only reason that you know the name of Jesus. There have been so many teachers throughout the history of the world who were engaging, who could capture an audience and capture attention and boggle minds. There's been so many teachers. There's been so many people that have performed miracles, biblical characters that have performed miracles. But the reason that you know about Jesus is because the resurrection sets him apart from anyone else who has ever lived or made any claims throughout their life about who they are and who God is. And so when we, when we begin to see, okay, what, well, what did Sunday morning look like? I wanted to highlight a couple things that I don't feel like get enough attention. And we're, so we're going to look at Luke 24, verses 1 through 6. And we'll put this up on the screen as I read it. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
And while they were there wondering about this, suddenly two men in, in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? Now look, I want to just for a moment, because we, we as a culture, I just feel like I have at least heard when we talk about women's role in scripture, we often talk about who ate the fruit first. And that seems to be a very popular topic. But I want to identify that on you know, Sunday morning after the Sabbath, once they were allowed to, the women do what women still typically tend to do in our culture. They, they step up and they say, I'm going to go finish doing what needs to be done. I'm going to get, early, get up early and I'm going to finish the work that the men don't want to finish. And they got after it. All right. And, and then what happened? They were the first to find out. I just don't think it gets highlighted enough that the first believers in the resurrected Christ were women. And then they were commissioned to go and tell the men, to go tell the disciples. And that might, you might be like, Paul, that's just a footnote. No, no, no. Scripture is very intentional. And in a society that was much more male-dominated than what today's society is. This stood out like a black eye, that the women were the first to know, that they reported it back to the men and the men didn't believe. Some of the men said, I have to go and check it out. And one of the other places that we see about what began to happen on Sunday morning, they were told in verse seven of Mark chapter 16, it says, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Go tell his disciples and Peter. Like they, they were sent to deliver this message to get the men on board with where, where they should have been to, to catch them up to the speed that the women were already at. And there's that, that little note. Different commentators, different theologians who study this, they arrive at different conclusions. And I want to give you both because I don't think it really matters which conclusion you land on here. Uh, one of the conclusions is Peter gave up his role of disciple when, when he three times swore that he just didn't know Jesus. That, that he was considered out after he did that. Not that anyone was in, it was all exploded now but there was a reality that there was a fracture that happened and that we see later Jesus had to restore Peter and, and asked him, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And restoring him to this. But, but there's this, this separation there. It's not just the disciples. The other side that theologians land on is that when the disciples were told to come and meet him there, that Peter might've said, it's finished for me. If Jesus is there, he's not gonna wanna see me because he knew what I did. And so I'm as bad as Judas, I'm out. I betrayed him. And so the message is written that way to include Peter to say, even though you think it's done for you, you're not out, you're, you're brought in. And so however many years of messing up has been in your history, no matter how bad it has been for you, I want you to understand, you more than likely did not stand three times and say, I do not know him, Jesus. I do not know the guy. I've never heard of him. You call down curses and deny three times you knew him after you've been in a close relationship. That probably isn't your story. 
But even if it was, Jesus is saying, I would want you back. And even after feeling like there's a time of silence where I haven't heard from God, when we arrive at the scene on Sunday morning, we see him calling in his people because this has been the work to get the church started, to get the church active, to get the church to the point where they understand that not even death can have victory over what we've started here today. That the mission is going to move forward and it's not going to depend on the strength of men because once the disciples all thought that it was over, God was just getting started. In the silence, when they thought that there was no hope, there was things happening that were unseen that they did not understand. And even when some women went out to just try to honor who Jesus was, and the plan wasn't great because they were on the way talking about how are we going to get the stone out of the way. They just got started and God worked a miracle in that moment and lifted them up and put them in a place of honor in scripture because they were just going to go get started. And so for you, when we look at the Easter story, I hope you understand this isn't just a story of Jesus' resurrection. This is, a, this is the instructions. This is the model. This is the proof that you were invited to move from death to life, from chaos to order, from hopelessness to living on a mission that you were invited to do something that will continue to change our city and our world. Because Jesus was resurrected, that same power is gonna be at work within you. But it's not just a head thing. It's a knowing, but it's also a believing. There were people who knew that Jesus resurrected, but they still never gave him his heart. And there's people in our, in our room, in our world, in our churches today that they can tell you the resurrection story, but it's never become what they believed in their heart. And the reason that we know Jesus's name isn't because he was a good teacher or a miracle worker, it's because he rose from the grave and that set him apart from anyone who ever lived. But it's not just that it happened. It's that when we believe that same resurrection power begins a work in us. And that's the invitation. The invitation isn't just to make a mental ascension. The invitation is for you to experience death to life. And if today, as I speak, you're questioning, have I become a Christian? I want to tell you, have you felt that moment where God's love became so real that you knew something in you has changed? Have you felt that moment where you knew, I don't just know that there's peace, but I feel peace between me and my heavenly father. And the guilt that I felt for my sins and mistakes, it has been removed. Because if as I speak today, you question whether that has been made yours, 
It doesn't matter what's in the past. It doesn't matter if maybe it has or maybe it hasn't. What you can be sure of is that right now, today, it can be yours. And this is why we celebrate Easter. This is why it's a big deal. Because that resurrection that started that day continues this day. And to the hearts of people like me and you who believe. So this is the invitation. When we admit that we're a sinner and we believe that Jesus lived and died and resurrected for our sins and we confess him as Lord, we will be made part of his family. But there's a step that has to happen in your heart. And the only thing that would ever hold you back from taking that step is you. There is no other obstacle that God will let stay between you and him. And so I want to ask you to be courageous today. Say yes to what God is doing. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to close this out. Easter Sunday, there is no greater day to join the testimony of those who have believed. The women first, it's a reality. And then the men who understood that God so loved the world that he sent his son, his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God so loved you that he paid the ultimate sacrifice. And now is the time if you have not yet made that decision to pray in your heart, say, God, it's all yours. My future, my past, it's all yours. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, we admit that if we were in their circumstances, we would have been scared. We know that in our life, we've seen your miracles. We know that we've seen incredible teachings and truths that point us to you. But the important thing isn't about the truths that we know, but it's the relationship that we enter into where we say, you are Lord. And so right now we confess, we have sinned and we confess that you are, you are Lord. And we ask for forgiveness and we ask for new life. And we ask to see your Holy Spirit's power at work in our life and in the church so that more and more people can know that you have conquered death to provide us life. It's in your name we pray.